Hi, this is Adrian Sala, founder of Wikisleep. As many of you know, the Wikisleep app is now available for both Apple and Android devices. And I recently updated it, adding some fun features like autoplay for the next episode, sequential play of your favorite episode and a timer so that you can set it and forget it while you drift off to sleep. I wanted to mention that I am removing ads from the podcast because I know how disruptive they are. My sincere hope is that you'll go to the app and try it out, where I believe the experience is just better. And as part of that, though, over the next coming weeks, I'll be changing the episodes on the podcast to be closer to previews of full episodes, about six or seven minutes each. If you'd like to hear this and every other episode in its entirety, they're available on the app, and you can access that by visiting wikisleep.com. It's simple to download and get started, and there's a free trial so you can test it out at no cost today. Anyway, I encourage you to get the app, and in the meantime, I hope you get some rest and enjoy this episode. You're listening to Wikisleep Podcast, a podcast designed to help you relax and unwind through calm, quiet storytelling. I'm your host, Adrian Sala. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit wikisleeppodcast.com. Today's story the Great Fire of London. The Great Fire of London started at the bakery of Thomas Farriner on Pudding Lane shortly after midnight on Sunday, September 2nd, and spread rapidly west across the city of London. The major firefighting technique of the time was to create fire breaks by means of demolition but this was critically delayed, owing to the indecisiveness of Lord Mayor of London, Sir Thomas Bloodworth. And by the time large-scale demolitions were ordered, the wind had already fanned the bakery fire into a firestorm that made such measures near meaningless. By the 1660s, London was by far the largest city in Britain, estimated at a half a million inhabitants. Writer John Evelyn, contrasting London against the Baroque magnificence of Paris, called it a wooden, northern, inartificial congestion of houses, and expressed alarm about the fire hazards posed by the wood and the congestion. 
By inartificial, Evelyn meant unplanned and makeshift, the result of unregulated urban sprawl. London had been a Roman settlement for four centuries and had become progressively more crowded inside its defensive city wall. It had also pushed outwards, beyond the wall, into squalid extramural slums such as Shoreditch, Holborn, and Southwark, and had reached far enough to include the independent city of Westminster. By the late 17th century, the city proper, the area bounded by the city wall and the River Thames, was only a part of London covering some 700 acres and home to about 80,000 people, or one-sixth of London's inhabitants. The city was surrounded by a ring of inner suburbs where most Londoners lived, and was the largest market and busiest port in England, dominated by the trading and manufacturing classes. The aristocracy shunned the old city and lived either in the countryside beyond the slum suburbs or in the exclusive Westminster district, the modern West End, and the site of King Charles II's court at Whitehall. The relationship was often tense between the city and the crown. The city of London had been a stronghold of republicanism during the Civil War between 1642 and 1651. And the wealthy and economically dynamic capital still had the potential to be a threat to Charles II, as had been demonstrated by several Republican uprisings in London in the early 1660s. The city magistrates were of the generation that had fought in the Civil War could remember how Charles I's grab for absolute power had led to that national trauma. They were determined to thwart any similar tendencies in his son, and when the great fire threatened the city, they refused the offers that Charles made of soldiers and other resources. Even in such an emergency, the idea of having the unpopular royal troops ordered into the city was political dynamite. By the time that Charles took over command from the ineffectual Lord Mayor, the fire was out of control. The city was essentially medieval in its street plan, an overcrowded warren of narrow, winding cobbled alleys. It had experienced several major fires before 1666, the most recent in 1632. Building with wood and roofing with thatch had been prohibited for centuries, but these cheap materials continued to be used. The only major stone-built area was the wealthy center of the city, where the mansions of the merchants and brokers stood on spacious lots, surrounded by an inner ring of overcrowded, poorer parishes whose every inch of building space was used to accommodate the rapidly growing population. 
These parishes contained workplaces, many of which were fire hazards, such as foundries, smithies, and glaziers, and which were technically illegal in the city, but tolerated in practice. The human habitations were crowded to bursting point, intermingled with these sources of heat, sparks, and pollution, and their construction increased the risk of fire. The typical six or seven-storied timber London tenement house had jetties, which were projecting upper floors. They had a narrow footprint at ground level, but maximized their use of land by encroaching on the street. The fire hazard was well perceived when the top jetties all but met across the narrow alleys. In 1661, King Charles II issued a proclamation forbidding this type of overhanging construction, but it was largely acknowledged by the local government. If you're enjoying this Wikisleep story and would like to hear it in its entirety, full episodes are available on the Wikisleep app, where there is so much more to help you get to sleep. Simply visit the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and search Wikisleep. Or visit wikisleep.com where there are simple links to the app. Remember, we're not a regular sleep app. We're a cool sleep app. Affordable, fun, and endlessly interesting.